Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 136, if you are keeping track. Um, and with me, as always, is Fredo and Dave. How you doing, guys? I get, don't everybody speak up at once? Okay, I guess. I was going to let Fredo go first, you know? I feel no, like I'm always talking no. over the guy. Maybe, maybe we're all just uh, stunned or not stunned over the fact that Mike Thomas is never going to suit up with the New Orleans Saints ever again. He's on IR for the rest of this year, and I mean, yeah. I'll just say to that, how glad are you that we have Chris Olave now? Yeah, right? Whatever the price it was to get him. How glad are you that we're not going to have to worry about a number one wide receiver out of Ohio State? Because, I mean, it feels like it's just one thing after another. And look, it's got to be frustrating for him. At the same time, it's, you know, the best ability is availability, as they say in soccer. So, if you, you know, you got to be able to answer the bell for people to care about you. And if you're not, at some point, they start forgetting. By the way, I have to apologize to the listeners if you're hearing weird sounds in the background. My dog is chewing on a very loud bone very aggressively right now. Um, Which one? It's Sophie. Um, so Luna's looking out the front window, and I'm sure Ellie's guarding the back. But anyway, um, I apologize if you hear all this chomping. But Ed? Hey, Clark? What's wrong with the dog? <clears throat> <clears throat> Oh, he's just yakking on a bone. <coughs> he got it up. Do what you got to do. So, um, yeah, so that was the big Saints news for today. So, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, there was also the fun Saints news of seeing the Saints, you know, stomp on the Raiders on Sunday. Ah, uh, yes. That, yeah, that was uh, – I was at that game. And we where we sit, we have uh, – you know, it's – we get people in and out. I mean, that people sell their tickets up there. And so we were worried we were going to be surrounded by Raiders. Luckily, we were surrounded by Saints fans who were letting the Raiders fans have it. So it was good. Um, Especially since the last time we played the Raiders at home, we lost. And I had to get on a plane for the Bay Area right after it. And I'm walking on the plane to my seat on the very back wearing a Drew Brees jersey. That was not good. Um, Anyway, Dave, how was Halloween with the kids? Oh, it was fun was had by all. We trick-or-treated and saw a ton of trick-or-treaters come by the house and everybody feasted on candy. So, Did you get any of the special candy? Oh, yeah. You know, everything had fentanyl in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Give me the Skittles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so are you one of those dads that um, raid your kids' candy while they sleep? All right. Well. I think there's a moral, that's a moral and ethical question, right? When they were younger and they didn't know any better, totally. Like, they were never going to eat it all anyway. Now they count. It was all going to get thrown out. Um, So it's like, yeah, yeah. They they take inventory of their candy now? They very much do, yes. <laughs> they've got this whole trading system down now. I don't know what, you know, what the monetary worth of particular pieces of candy is, but uh, they've been uh, they've been dumping their buckets out and, and reassembling their buckets repeatedly over the last few days. All right. So, real quick question for everybody here: best Halloween candy, Fredo. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just gonna go with the uh, lazy answer. Just go with chocolate. Because it never, answer. ever, 
it's disappointing. That was a lazy answer. Yeah, Dave, best Halloween candy? Uh, I mean Reese's, but you know, I'm probably a little burned out on Reese's at this point. I've eaten a lot of Reese's lately. So. I like the fun size Snickers. Okay. <laughs> I will say, just to redeem myself real quick, on the way home after Halloween, because uh, Aaron, myself, and a couple of friends of got together for a drink, I stopped the gas up at a gas station and I found these extra-large Dove bars that were dark chocolate peanut butter. They were good. But they were a bit on the big side, so you can only really eat one, because anything more than that, just your stomach, you know, that and beer don't go well all right, so question for everybody. Last last little question before we get to trivia. Then worst Halloween, I'm gonna say treat. What you what's the worst thing you could be given when you go trick or treating? Okay, well the easy answer here is something that has nothing to do with candy, right? So it's like floss or something. You know, pennies. it's just mine is pennies. Yeah, I always hated it when I got a spoonful of pennies. Sorry. It's just I. Like, yeah, there's a lot there, right? Like, but if you limit it to candy, it's definitely those wax paper wrapped black and orange candies. Yes, I would agree of, with that too. Of undeterminate origin, like you never saw those candies at any other time of the year, and they were just not good. So those, yeah, those are the all-time awful candy, in my opinion. I would say, in terms of candy, the worst one to get is the Smarties. The chalky ones that look like little pills mm. they're supposed to chew on and i'm just like there's never a time when i wanted a mouthful of chalk <laughs> and that's the only time you ever get that or going to like grandparents houses that's the only time to run to like those kinds of candies because they like them and nobody <clears throat> else does oh, i kind of like kind of like smarties um all right well let's do some star wars trivia tonight by the way we're going to talk about the latest episode of andor and we're all probably going to get really depressed thinking about how it's a reflection on many aspects of society. Um, but holy cow, are they, I, I think they're continuing to hit it out of the park. Um, and, uh, but anyway, let's, uh, let's do some fun Star Wars trivia first. Um, Dave, you first. Who asked Luke to stay on Tatooine for one more season? Oh, come on. Uncle Owen? I'm sorry, it's Owen Lars. That was the answer on the card. So, <laughs> yes, it's Uncle Owen. All right. Um, Fredo, <clears throat> whose last words are, there is another Skywalker. Come on. <laughs> I nearly answered that Peru, but no, it's Yoda. No, it's Mr. Hanky, actually, the Christmas poo. <laughs> no, it is. Yes, it's Yoda's. Watch, I'm going to get, what's the third Star Destroyer in the fleet? Okay, so let's see, okay. What does Leia say when Han asks, Afraid I was going to leave without giving you a goodbye kiss? I would just as soon kiss a Wookiee. I am correct. I am correct. I can arrange that. However, <laughs> your guys' questions were far easier. Um... All right. Well, um, like I said, not a lot of news. Um, we've got one bit of something that was about uh, we're coming on the 10 years of um, of Disney owning Star Wars, but we're going to save that for its own podcast episode, I think. Uh, but Dave, do you have anything you want to 
you you started to take a breath like you were going to oh i was ready to launch in today but if you want to if we want to save a whole episode for this i think that we can i I think it'd be good i think it'd be good um yeah so uh pardon us why we program on the fly but um yeah i can't believe actually let's just talk about that for a second 10 years let's put this in perspective 10 years uh of disney owning star wars um and it was what the distance of 15 years from return of the jedi to um phantom menace 16 i think 83 to 99 so i mean yeah that's a i mean i mean that's that's weird the time flies but uh, yeah, so I mean, we, in the episode, we'll talk about you know kind of the state of things and what we think. But um, I'll just ask this quick question, Dave: Did you think that we would get the things? Did you think we were going to get what we got, or did you think we were going to get something different when Disney took on Star Wars? I like that question. That is something I would like to reflect <clears throat> on, maybe a little bit, um, and just like in terms of expectations when that announcement came down. Um, and this is a decent question to pose to the audience too. It's like think about like let's remember what? Disney uh, Disney Plus wasn't a thing. Streaming services were barely a thing. Mm-hmm. And, go ahead, and go really, back, go ahead. even concepts like the Marvel Cinematic Universe were just coming into vogue at the time. Because I want to say 2012, we're talking the Avengers. That's when everybody was announcing their shared cinematic universes. Uh, so the idea of streaming services, of multi-tiered storylines branching off left, right, center, that wasn't really a thing back then. I mean, Star Wars had done it in the expanded universe books, but that was really where you would find it. You would not find it in movies or most of the media just because it was such a ponderous task. Nobody thought it could work. So Dave, did, so, you, think that, did you think we were going to get what we got? Or were we like I said, I, I think I'll save that for the larger discussion. But I will say, like, it, it, putting your mind back into that frame of publishing was humming along reasonably well at that point. That was about it. There were a few video games here and there. We were, like, partway through Rebels. And that was, that was it. That was, that was about it. Um, so Star, we weren't Wars, in a... Star Wars Rebels didn't come until after Disney purchased. Because, Is that right? Yeah. I would have to go look at the timeline. Clone, Clone um, Wars Clone Wars was... Uh, I don't know if Clone Wars had wrapped up um, already, but I know that... I didn't Because Rebels didn't come out until I moved to New Orleans in 2015. And okay. So, <clears throat> anyway. Well, then, then I'm thinking of Clone Wars because um, there was a lot of worry at the time of will this animated series be completed that, that was the part of that that i, I recall mean, so. honestly i thought we were going to get um we were going to get the three movies and we we're then merchandising i i mean i didn't think we were going to and again for a larger conversation but just my um highlights i didn't think we were going to get a disney park i didn't think we were going to have star wars tv um star wars prison right (laughs) um so you know have you seen okay so to transition into this week's episode a little bit have you seen the comparisons from people between star wars prison 
and the actual prison that Andor is in at the no, moment. No, but that's brilliant. I need to see that. <laughs> it's it's like it's like a spot on comparison. Like it, it's it's hilarious that this this luxury hotel experience in Disney World, the closest comparison in universe that people can come up with is this prison, this dystopian, horrific prison. That sounds too perfect, honestly. And here's the horrible thing. I'm not sure we might not see that as an experience coming soon to your uh, Disney park near you. So, all right. Well, let's let's jump into let's jump into Andor uh, episode nine. It's called "No One's Listening," um, and you know, it was one of those things again. It was one of those episodes again that it felt like we bounced around a lot bounced around a lot but it was always comparison it was, it, it was a it was a comparison of how's cassian's life going compared to mon mothma's compared to uh isb agent miro uh did i get her name right i always mess it up um and then versus um uh oh what's his cyril um so and so we're, we're getting kind of a status of everybody's life um so I guess let's let's kind of start right there. Cassian is humming along in prison. He's getting along seemingly just fine. He's figured out the routines and he's actually starting to plot a breakout. He's in, you know, he's in cahoots with other people. Um, but he seems it's weird. He seems comfortable and confident in his situation. But the thing is that he keeps hitting on, and it, it harkens back to that first episode. The empire he's figured out the empire they don't, they don't care, they don't know that I'm here. And there's I mean every now and again we get a guard. Otherwise, you know nobody's paying attention to anything. He's kind of figured out their game. Yeah, it's interesting because it's much in the same way as his life on uh, on Ferrix. He has recognized the patterns of behavior. He's recognized how things function. He knows that uh, that in, in many ways the, the imperial mindset is the same wherever he goes. Those in power think of him as less than, therefore they don't think he could be a threat. And what's interesting is the wall that he keeps bumping into is not the guards. It's not. It's it's his own. Immediate supervisor, uh, I believe his name is Kilo, who's played by Andy Serkis. That's that's his barrier. That's that's the the wall he's trying to break through, and he keeps all episode long trying to get him to start confiding in him the information that he needs in order to block this breakout. And it takes all episode for him to get there because, as far as uh, Kilo is concerned, no, they're paying attention, they're keeping their mind an eye on us. They know, and if you just you know, keep your head down and work, you'll get away, you get out of here. So it's interesting because it shows the adaptability and the survival instincts that Cassian has are excellently suited for life under the Empire's thumb. It's, it's also a welcome uh, change from the previous episode where he looked completely institutionalized and just like almost. Me- you worried a little bit that at that point of, of his development that he might have lost some hope. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And 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 for this, what what really brings it back is exactly what Aaron was talking about, which is just this idea and this realization that the people around you aren't paying attention. Ergo, there is opportunity here. And I want to highlight something that my wife said to me right after the the episode ended because I thought it was just incredibly insightful, and I've seen it online once, one or two places since. Um, Cassian says no one is listening. He says that a few times. And um, it's really, really heartbreaking when you remember his last words in Rogue One. And oh, yeah. <clears throat> I hadn't thought about that. Do you think anyone is listening? Nice and, job. And it's just such a gutting thing. Like no one's listening, no one's listening, and it and it calls to not just like their situ- their specific situation, right? Like the empire is not watching us; we're rats in a cage. But also, it calls to mind the previous episode when the prisoners were like, "Is anybody in the galaxy paying attention to what's going on?" Um, where where our welfare is concerned, and the and the new prison rules, etc. And nobody's listening and nobody's watching and nobody's paying any attention at all. And so you've got those two things happening. And then you have that callback to Rogue One. And, um, I, you know, there's a reason that, you know, people are just gaga so, for this series at this point. So let's, uh, okay. So what I was hit with in this, in this episode, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording was, I mean, all of the things that are happening in, real world today in this country pardon me that we could that that we're seeing the parallels in andor and let's talk about prison for a second you you talk about um you know inmates are constantly talking about you know just the absolute horrible quality of life um and i get it you're in prison but you i mean there should still be a level of humanity and and as much as they, as much as they, you know, raise that issue, nobody's listening. You know, I mean, the people in the people in the community don't they don't care because you're in prison, so prison should be bad. And and then the fact that they found out the reason why there was a riot is because they found out as people were released that they were then like if you were on level four and you got released, well, you were just hustled right into level two. And nobody ever knew the difference except for this time, somebody on level two recognized somebody from the guy from level four who was supposed to have been released and that made that whole floor freak out. And um, so the empire is, I mean, it's the, it's a revolving door, prison door. And, you know, it's um, people who have served time, you know, how often are they put back into prison for on, you know, just cruddy charges things like that so it's that it's talking about that revolving prison system and just uh, just the awful prison system in general yeah i i was just gonna dovetail and say the the free labor aspects of it too we're voting on we're voting on something like that this (laughs) this this election but go ahead fredo no and i was gonna say exactly that that i mean one of the, you know, we're talking about a 
prison industrial complex that we're seeing on our Star Wars TV show. And when you talk about what the point of it is, is to produce something for the Empire. They are cogs in a machine where their rights have been taken away. They're told that if they bust their butts, they might get a tiny bit of flavor with their food. And if they get wrong, they get punished because they have no rights. And there is a lot of similarities to the modern American prison system where if you do well and you do your work, you get rewarded with stuff. And if you don't, you get, you pay for it. So, uh, I mean, in some way, it is on the notes in some instances. But I also think that that's important to reflect that it doesn't take something like the Galactic Empire to create a system that dehumanizes people, takes away their rights, takes away their ability to uh, defend themselves. Because remember, Cassian's in this for six years because he walked too fast on a beach for an officer's life, for a stormtrooper's life. For that reason alone, he is now subjected to everything he's been subjected to. And I think the interesting aspect of it is, is that the episode's telling you people are willing to agree to stuff like that as long as they think they understand the rules and the right at level two it's a clear-cut signal that to them that the rules are not built for them. They're not made for them. And you're right, that recidivism, that rotating door element to folks who have been incarcerated, folks who are set up to be forever stuck in a, in a rat's maze of, you're just going to go and come well, right back and we're going to keep, keep you at work. And that's interesting. It, uh, it, it also, let's talk about, it, it, you know, as the, the rebellion as a whole, or, or how this how this relates to the rebellion because it, you know Brittany and I we've talked about um, you know when we've had our conversations back and forth and debates and stuff like that you know it's like you, know, you talk about I remember one time she said you know basically just because there is a rule doesn't mean that you should follow it you know um, and I mean that's that's a huge discussion but you know what what uh, Andy Circus is getting at is like what you're saying. It's like, if I follow the rules, I keep my head down, I'm going to get out. And, you know, Cassian's over here saying their rules are dumb. You need to join us in, in our breakout. You need to help us. How many guards are there on each floor? You need to, you know, so he's, he's trying to recruit. Um, and, but like I said, you talk, so you talk about the rebellion as a whole. It's like, there are a lot of people who are saying, the empire just followed what the empire says and everything's going to be great. And then you got people who are saying no, just because they got rules, you know? So we're, I mean, the prison episode, the prison scenes are the microcosm of the empire as a whole, you know, it's, it's the citizens. I mean, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, and it's an interesting aspect regarding the nature of what we see the empire do on the prison planet as to what we see in the, uh, what Miro, we see Miro and the Empire doing back on Ferex to Cassian's friends. It's like, you know, the, the Empire is so big and ponderous and so messed uh, up that they're on one planet torturing the friends and loved ones of somebody they don't realize is in their custody. So but they don't care. They're gonna, that's they're gonna pretty go messed up, this. yeah. So we'll, we'll come to that here in a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to talk about somebody who was also in a sort of prison, which was was Mon Mothma. 
she's in a prison of a different element. I mean, we see her in the Senate and she is a lone voice. People are turning out their lights and going home. People are heckling her. You know, it's she is the only person who's trying to stand up for anything that's remotely right. Um, and she realizes she can only push things so far. Then she goes home and she has to whisper in hushed tones. She doesn't quite know everything that's going on with the rebellion. She knows something is going on. Um, she obviously does not trust her husband. She doesn't, her driver, she knows is an ISB plant. I was actually even thinking as she, well, first of all, we found out also that her cousin is Val. So yep. that's, that was interesting. Um, but I mean, but Mon Mothma is also living in a sort of prison and actually she, she seemed to be struggling more than Cassian in this episode, which I found really kind of interesting. He has a bit of a path laid out for him at this at this stage of things, and she doesn't. Like his his whole mindset is get out, um, and whereas she's trying to sort of feel out these sorts of uh, complex relationships with other people and the political ramifications of doing certain things, and how does this make me look versus how does this make me look? Can I trust so and so, even though he's a criminal element, to manage my money for me? How would that look? You know, so there's just a lot of uncertainty in general because um, she's stepping into, you know, on the ground that she's just completely unfamiliar with. Um, so I think you can chalk it up to that. But but at the same token, I, I'd say it, it's it's a better viewing experience uh, for us to see those two different um, kinds of stages of the, this rebellion begin to take shape for people. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so. What what we're seeing is there's always a certain element of risk that comes with having a lot and knowing that you might lose it. In a weird way, Cassian has lost everything because he's, in, I mean, he literally has in a certain way. His freedom has been taken away. The wealth that he busted his butt for how many weeks on Aldani in order to get, he lost that. He doesn't know his mom's on a different planet. He doesn't know what's, what he's left behind. So it allows him to bottom line things. He can just focus on what he's got, his next goal. Mon Mothma's playing the double-edged, uh, two-faced game where she's got to present herself as being one thing while trying to be a different thing. And the problem is, even within her own household, she's not united. She's not. She doesn't get to be who she really is or wants to be in front of her daughter, in front of her husband, in front of the people she loves the most. So... It's creating an internal conflict within her that mirrors the external conflict that she's living with, which is at some point there's the fear that there's going to be a knock on the door and there's going to be ISB agents and she's just going to disappear into a facility much like Gaskin did. And she may not have the skills to survive that. But, okay, so the, again, the, the, the title of the episode is No One Is Listening. And again, no one's listening to her as a senator no one's listening to you know how many times have we have felt like we have a cogent argument and nobody is listening to it um you know she's got there's conflict but she wants she wants her cousin val to do a certain thing you know go just not I, she, she's trying to steer her down a path and val's like saying no you know it's like, so not listening to her there her daughter doesn't listen to her you know her 
you know, her husband kind of doesn't listen to her. So, I mean, so that, I, I think that was very interesting. She was just seemed very stifled in this whole episode. Quick question, sidebar about that. Do we think her husband is actually not listening to her? Or could he be listening to her and actively working to undermine her? Because that would be the horrible twist in that, that the one person who's actually paying attention to her and seeing her for what she is and who she is might be the person who's going to turn around and betray her. Yeah, I, I still don't trust her husband and daughter. Oh, I mean, I, but, uh, I think, but that would yeah, be I like too daughter, obvious, but yeah. No, I think the daughter is very much a new generation person who's grown up in Coruscant, grown up in the lap of luxury, and she just doesn't understand well why, you know, why is mom and dad fighting? Because, and this is what's interesting, is she's got the second generation immigrant mindset of, well, this is all I know, why are we fighting for something that didn't exist before we were born, versus mom and dad, where dad's like, we got it good, we got it great, and mom's like, no, we could have, we had it great back then, we need to fight to get that back. I think it's interesting, though, because the husband, he's paying attention to everything she's doing. He, no, she doesn't go five steps in anyone scene at home, and he's not turning up out of nowhere. So I don't necessarily know that he may be actively working against her, but I would suspect that if there comes a moment that someone's going to betray her, it's going to be him. It's not going to be only only if he only if he can get his money. You know, and that might be why what's holding him back. You know that that's yeah, that might be the only thing that's keeping him silent is because Mon Mothma is the one with the money. You know, she's the sugar mama. Um, could be. Um, Dave, any thoughts on Mon Mothma or? I mean, she has her purpose and she's serving it well as far as the series is concerned. I I like the. Um... Like those little scenes where she's in the the Senate, the we we got the first scene a couple episodes back where it just you're like, oh, okay, well nobody cares about this particular thing she's on about, right? But then they repeat it here, and it really sort of drives home the point that nobody is listening and that it that like these things that are that it, she holds near and dear to her heart are just like sorry, sorry, lady, and. That's a visceral feeling. You empathize with her. I, I, I got. I was unsettled by that, um, in particular. I mean, I, everything going on in the prison is unsettling as all get out. But, but even like that sequence, reinforced just that that theme, and um, it's no good. And just to kind of go back to the overall arch or thesis that we have about this episode, reflecting our own world and our own nation. How often do people say that the folks in power, the folks in Washington, don't listen to them? And that nothing gets done and that the beer, you know, people get elected and go there and their whole job is to stay elected and stay in power even though they do nothing for you. Well, here's, here's the, uh, I mean, you know, here it's the, I think it was absolutely true that, you know, um, the, the two parties don't listen to one another. I mean, it's always, you know, it's always talking points, you know. But it's that idea of, you know, that they're there. I mean, Monmouth was trying to live by the ethos of we were sent here to represent our people and speak on their behalf and try to better their lives. And as she's saying this, her fellow senators are like, yeah, you know what? I think I got a lunch. Yeah, you know what? I think I got something better to do. And Dave's right. That's a visceral reaction where you're like, 
Ugh, she's going down in flames, and you can just see the bottom of falling around on oh, no, uh, under her feet, falling away from her. And you just like, do they not get it? But then you kind of recognize that they don't get it. That's why we're going to get the Rebel Alliance. So another um, another person who's in kind of a prison, but I want to talk about how much they made him into a creepy sob that's cyril cyril is in kind of a prison he's he's still i mean he that prison he got promoted well but i'm talking about where he's living i mean his his living situation is not (laughs) much different than cassian's you know um he's living with his mom um you know i i do like it i think it was uh screen crush pointed it out and i i've noticed it when i watched it too it was funny to his mom was talking so much he started slurping his blue milk just to drown her out um but he is you know he's he's uh he's stuck yeah he got a promotion but i gotta tell you guys i did not see the stalker element of him stalking miro i didn't see that coming and that whole scene creeped us the f out. Um, it was it, for for a couple of reasons, but anyway, that was holy cow. Um, and the interesting thing, and and this again, linking it to our real world. So those of you if you haven't watched the episode yet, spoiler alert. But anyway, um, Cyril, we come to find out he's been like showing up at the ISB office trying to get a glimpse of Agent uh, Miro and. Finally, he does, and he kind of gets all creepy, um, it, and it's uh, it almost it almost sounds like he's got the hots for, her, but it's not. It's like he's he's I don't know. We'll talk about it more, but you know, we're so my wife and I were talking about this today because one uh, website or what website was talking about how he it was he was in love with the agent and I said did you get the idea that he was in love with her and she's like no she said but but that's what incels do and and I just went Pow! I was like oh yes and because what has been so toxic for fandom whether it's sci-fi or video game fandom is this incel movement and this you know I don't know. I, I just throw that grenade out there. Is do you think that's what we're? Are we reaching too much? Reading too much into that, or do you think that that is maybe a, a point that they're trying to make in this show with him? I mean, if it's if uh, so much of this show is relatable to our own world and the experiences that that we have and the things that we see around occurring around us, and so like from that perspective yes i don't think it's a particular dig at a particular type of person so much as it's um fascism is bad let's not do that um and i think like that's more of the overarching theme here like these are both fascists and they're both awful people and now you're proposing an unholy union between the two of them. Uh, of course, he would have that horrific idea in his in his warped little mind. It makes perfect sense. Um, and again, like this guy, this guy's broken, right? You, circling back to the mother, like she's abusive. Oh yeah, Hands you down. see where he, you see what produced what we got here. 
Um, the only time she wasn't abusive it was when he talked about the promotion. So she's like, ooh, good boy. I'm going to give you more cereal, you know? And, like, that was her, you know, twisted mindset of rewarding the boy. It's like, I'll give him a little more cereal. Um, but, like, clearly an abusive person, he's in his own prison living with her. Uh, he's not in a good headspace at all um, and hasn't been. He blames Cassian for all of his problems. Um, and now he's like fixated on this other awful person as a, well, as like, being, you know, the ideal. It's like person. it's like John Hinckley shooting Ronald Reagan, you know, to win over Jodie Foster. It's just yeah, it's just all weird. Um, but I like he, how I like how deep that we're going with this though. It's but like, he okay, so this is messed up. All these characters are messed up. This is a messed up situation. What they do is messed up. Let's make it even more messed up. Let's let's double down. Now we on haven't this. and we haven't talked about what Miro's been doing. We'll get to that in a second. But he shakes her. I mean, not, oh, yeah. I mean, he he rattles her big time because she's like gets into the office and it's you know it it is totally shaking her. Yeah, like the power dynamic has completely shifted. She's the one who was in control, who was shoving him around and telling him what to do and now he's stalking her that's not what she wanted him to do that's not what she told him to do but isn't that interesting because that's what that's i mean i wonder that's why i'm sorry i interrupted you but it's so interesting because that's what she's been living as the empire is stalking people and getting information and you know showing up where they live and now somebody does it to her and it sucks and you know it's like so that's why i wonder if i said it early on when we start going as are we going to see right now she's the big baddie but is she going to do kind of an agent callous you know at some point but anyway i'm sorry keep keep going this yeah and you're right this has gotten so weird for a star wars this there's is, a mean, lot of well i mean there's you just pointed out the irony there's irony all over the place right um but I, so yeah you know from a storytelling perspective is that intentional and you, you wink at the audience with that a little bit it's like oh you know she's the kind of person that employs these tactics against other people and now it's being turned around on her um but she don't deserve that she doesn't deserve crazy, you know, regardless of how awful a person she is professionally, yeah, no, she doesn't right. deserve some random stalking her either, you know? So it's just, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot that that's an, that's a healthy onion to peel back the layers of that for sure. Well, I'm sure, and I know Fredo wants to jump in here at some point, but it's also, you know, empire is a very male dominated, you know, mm-hmm. thing and she is working her way up and if she shows any sign of weakness or anything in the office and, and again that's real life here that oh, yeah. that happens in corporate america right now it's like if if you are a you know female executive you show any sign of weakness then oh you're going to you know it's going to be bad news her rewarding this guy could and lead to the end of her career Right. Ultimately, like him stalking her, she could be punished for that. So I want to go back and start at the start with this. I'll compare the relation, mother-son relationship between 
Cyril and her mom, and Cassian and Marva. Cassian and Marva is not Cassian's mom, you know, biologically speaking. But she rescued him. She raised him. When the time came that Cassian came back, saying, "Hey, I made it good. Let's get out of here." She was very much in a, "No, you need to leave me here. You need to take care of yourself. I will be fine. I will. I have some a mission I need to do. I'll be on my own." Versus the moment you know, you know, poor Cyril gets back into home with mom because he's got no place else to go. He's been fired and you know ostracized and his mom's just throwing it all in his face how much of a failure he is checking every aspect of his life what he's doing and it's not until no wait, nobody would all, know if she was dead you know unless yeah right, right all, yeah all that aspect you know you know it's a it's an interesting dynamic that they're juxtaposing there because it shows just how why on the one hand cassian is very much independent and able to think whereas cyril seems in some ways constricted he can only see the world one way which is this very raw, narrow, uh, orderly way in which he was following his career as a corporate security officer and now desperately wants to be ISB. Regarding his stalking of Nero, I found it interesting. First of all, yes, it's interesting that his mom is a domineering, powerful in his life, a presence, and he is seeking another female domineering, powerful presence. To take over that role for him, you know, Doctor Freud may have a thing or two to say there, but we'll not go deeper into that. Uh, but it's also interesting from the standpoint of who among us doesn't have... like a woman in uniform bossing us around, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 true, true. But you know, particularly if they're getting us a promotion, that's always nice. It's always a nice. But it's very much on an aspect of he's almost equating her with the empire. It's interesting to see because all his dreams about all Cyril wants to do is get back into good graces of the Empire, get back into that position where he can go back and hunt Cassian. But it's all because he seems to have this almost infatuation with the power of the Empire. And now he's transferred all of those feelings into Miro. And that is dangerous for Miro because that's how you get a stalker. That's how you get somebody who's waiting for you outside your offices, who's tracking you down because he feels that you, his life is incomplete without you in there. In it, because they feel like, oh, you did me this one thing. You did me this one thing, and look, let's be fair. Mira threw him a bone because she recognized whatever she needed to recognize about him. It was just like, okay, get him out of here. We'll do this. We'll pay, we're paying him off to basically stop bugging us. He'll get a nice well, promotion. Be better. And then he'll go away. And instead, now he's seeing her as the one holding all the carrots that he wants. And that's a problem. That's going to be a problem for her. So, I mean, okay. So you, you mentioned something. I, I want to then fast forward to the end. Um, you know, the empire is basically behaving like the mob, like you said. It's like, okay, we'll give him a job and like pay him off. We got what we needed. And at the end, they're doing the same thing with this rebel pilot that they captured. They're talking about, well, you know, we'll basically throw him out in the traffic and make it look like an accident. They're looking like, how can we kill off this guy and, and destroy the ship with without it making it look like we killed this guy and destroyed his ship? You know, so I want to talk about the Empire now because we've always talked about, I mean, I remember growing up, it's like the Empire of Space Nazis. But there are other space Nazis. They look like space Nazis. You know, it's like, but they never behaved 
like I mentioned in the last episode, they never behaved like space Nazis, but by God, are we getting like, we're, we're getting some, um, just some really nasty crap out of the empire. And it's, it, it, honest to God, it's like, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, I wear stormtrooper armor to make kids smile. And I'm feeling a smidge bad about it now. You know, because it's like before it was like, you know, I mean, that helmet that's over my shoulders like that. That's a that's a cool looking helmet. But now it's like we see them literally torturing people and not having not just not having, you know, a bad thought about it, but enjoying it. We have, you know, the the like I said, killing people off and let's make it look like an accident. Not even that's just a line item thing it's like you know check the box all right um so yeah so i mean what do you guys what do you guys think i mean does this what does this do for your vision for like like i said what we've grown up with i think i mean i think it's lifting the hood so to speak in many ways particularly you know the natural comparison or influence on the galactic empire has been uh, Nazi Germany, that imagery that got captured by Lenny Riefenstahl, that was mean, that right down to the name Stormtrooper. Mm -hmm. uh, so that idea, those concepts have always been baked into this, into it. But then, of course, obviously George Lucas didn't just draw from there. I think what's interesting is we've always gotten the overt, big, cackling evil. You know, Darth Vader, the moment you saw him on the screen, overtly evil. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, overtly evil. The Emperor, I mean, come on now. Uh, versus, yeah, very much so, you know, very much a day. Lightning or, out of the fingers, yes. Li literally the cackling. cackling, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like, whereas this is not that level, you know, this is not that evil. This is not the, systemic. Work, oh my God. This is the evil that goes to work nine to five, punches a clock, checks into the office, tortures three people, punches a clock, goes home, says hi to the kids, says hi to what. This is the evil of whenever you see pictures of you know of concentration camps and you see the officers and the secretarial staff and they got an accordion and they're all dancing polka songs or umpa songs and they're all giggling or they're having picnics literally steps away from a concentration camp this is what this level of the empire is this is not the cackling over the top we are evil evil in big bold elvis size uh, size letters this is the regular human evil that looks at somebody like Cassian, like Biggs, like anybody of the other characters that we met and says, you do not matter. You are just a number on a ledger, the pilot. You are not nothing more than a problem I have to solve. And you're, you know, now I won't care who you are because at no point do we get his name. At no point do we get a reference as to where he's from. All we get is his as connections to how it's gonna solve their problem with the robot. As a tangent, do you think because we, we yeah right we didn't get the name of that rebel pilot do you think it's irrelevant to that but but do you, I, I, i'm wondering if it's actually are we going to get it later is it somebody more important but i don't know dave what what, what do you think about seeing the empire actually like i said torturing people and liking i mean in a new hope it, we saw the interrogation droid and then the door closes you know here we saw the you know, we're putting the device on you. We're seeing your 
physical and emotional reaction to what's going on. We're going to hang there for a couple seconds. Then the door is going to close and we're going to walk down the hall. So they're being really in your face with it. I liked what Fredo pointed out, which was the the mendacity of it, where you're just like, this. there's this guy, it's his job to torture people. Dr. So-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, and I'll, I'll go off on a tangent telling you about, you know, all the people I've tortured and everything. And, oh, yeah, you don't want to panic too much because, you know. Somebody it, said it was like the, uh, the pit of despair in uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But um, it got, well, something we completely glossed over, like the, the method of torture, right, which was just this crying scream of a dying species right like the, the children they were they were being completely exterminated these were the last survivors and the anguish that came out of them as a result of being the last of their kind and it's like we're going to use that sound <laughs> we're going to use that to torture people and make them um you know suffer in the same way that they did and um Something grotesque, grotesque about that, um, but it really does paint them in a different light. Is again, cartoonish villains. Um, I think Star Wars sometimes trends too far into this idea of tropes. I think um, good, evil, um, really super powerful really super weak you know and things tend to get a little black and white um we're not in that place with this show at well, all and especially to um, that point like what we talked about earlier where miro was as evil as any villain in star wars that we have ever seen at the beginning of this episode and then to see her visibly shaken because some creepy dude you know was stalking her I mean that that adds a nuance to it, you know that right. you know that there that is like you said it's not just evil and strong, you know, good and weak because good is dumb. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. <gasps> ludicrous speed. Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take it. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? You know, but, uh, <laughs> but we're moving to your point. We're moving away from these broad strokes, right? Um, the, the characterization that's sort of simplistic in nature, because for lack of a better description, it's what kids can relate to, right? Um, okay, he's evil. Got it. Let's move on to the action sequence now. Here, it's like, what makes a person evil? All right, let's look at let's look at that a little bit closer. Let's drill down a little bit. Let's tell you a little bit more about what goes on in their head and, and what are the some of the actions that go along with that. How do you determine these things? Again, it's it's not so much that we're in the gray area with this. It's that we're getting into more of a detailed look, a more microscopic view of some of these concepts, um, and I think we're all the better for it as a result. And just to go off of that, consider that in this show, so far nine episodes in, we've only seen one droid. We've not seen, outside of maybe a couple of moments, any major alien species. Okay. This has been a human show. 
And to it's that decide, yeah, to make us look at good and evil on human terms. And on a tangent to that, because they make the comment, they're talking about Cassian's mom. And mm -hmm. she says, we've got somebody on her basically 24 seven, basically. I think they've, I think they've programmed the droid to yeah i think i think that's the uh that's the one who's on her um so you know you, you mentioned something dave about you know uh you know it's like okay we've done these things now let's get on to the action sequence that's the thing is that the the biggest action sequence that happened in this episode was the the old dude being put down like a dog um and, but, but you are still like in this episode like hanging on by your fingertips just the way they kept cutting around and everything like that um they're they're doing so much to tell a, a compelling story without pew pew and fume fume you know it's like we don't need tie fighters and lightsabers and blasters to be in a hundred percent on this show because notice the two tensest moments in this episode were one a guy signing language across a bridge to another guy and, a, and an old man being propped up by his co-workers from falling down on the ground so they could get him back to his cell. And mm -hmm. those are moments of tension. There, there, was no, there was no action. There was no shooting. There was no fighting. It was literally one guy trying to figure out what was going on and getting, you know, halves of a report and everybody panicking. And then the other thing was, Okay, let's let's back to him so we can keep him up so that nobody notices that he's having a medical emergency. So let's let's get to you know when when the old dude get like I said gets put down, um, and that's what makes Andy Circus. That's what pushes him over the edge into all right. I'm a rebel now um, because he gives Cassian the information that he wants. And, you know, back in episode, what was it, like, four or five, you know, when, when Vel said everybody rebels, everybody has their a different rebellion or basically that type of, everybody rebels for a different reason. That's what's interesting is finding each one of these characters, what is it that makes them all in? And you can even look at all of Star Wars that way. Luke was like, nah, until he saw his aunt and uncle just, you know, slaughtered by the empire and he's like i'm in you know um you, you can, i mean you can go down with all these characters um that there was something that pushed them over the edge to rebel um so i you know like i said and it's going to be interesting now like i said andy circus is uh golems all in so yeah it's I was going to also say, too, like before I while I was thinking about it, his mother uh, character or adoptive mother uh, character, um, they made a special point to dismiss her once again due to her frailty. They said, we're not going to torture her because, you know, uh, you know, she may die or whatever. And now we have further use of her. Don't worry. They're about the fuzzy mad. Teddy bears. They're, they're going to regret that. I'm telling you right now, because they are m madly disrespecting and 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 underestimating that woman and again she's not going to meet a good end i'm sure of it but by the same token i think the empire is going to really regret treating her in that manner in some in some way shape or form um but yeah to your point um prison break forthcoming 
Um, can't wait to see what that looks like. The the way the episode ended was perfect. Um, just him, just him dropping so, the knowledge that he had been peppering him for, for a couple episodes now. So uh, do the math. How many real guards quick. are there? How well, many guards are there? That's the point. Is that how many people are on each floor? Did they say? Did they say it's forty nine? Well, no. No, they said there's 12 guards. How many inmates are on each floor? He said in it because it's like, okay, they're on five. There's five. The fifth floor. There are there are nine tables, right? So there's 45 in each room. I think that's right. And there's a day shift. So and there's only 12 guards on each floor. I mean, they're going to figure out that all they need is for the power to be broken down and they can bum rush, you know, these yeah, guards. Because you saw, cause you saw even in the episode where uh, Cassian goes to the fresher looking. By the way, what, what was Cassian sawing off when he went to the fresher? That sounds so funny. What was Cassian sawing off in the fresher? <laughs> <laughs> as my dog um, is, as my dog is farting underneath the table okay, so my Lord. guess my guess there would be an alarm of some kind or just power he found a power line right or something and what's interesting is he and the other guy from the other table while they're on uh on program one of hands up and the new guy's coming down it's like there's only ever one guard who comes down the elevator we could rush him so it's interesting. In the few weeks that he spent, or however much time Cass is in there, he's already noticed the patterns of behavior of the guards. And that's usually one of those things that um, uh, folks who work in prisons always tell you. It's like, you have to be mindful to pick up your routine. Because if you become predictive, the, the, there's nothing for the prisoners to do, the inmates to do. they got to be paying attention to you. So if they pick up on your routines, they're more easier to be able to track you. And Cass is doing it. All right. Well, man, we've been we've been around the horn. Um, what else about this episode? I again, I st I've said it every time we've recorded. I get to the end of the episode and I go, oh, um, this is awesome. I'm totally digging this. And again, it's, it's no, it's no pew pew and lightsabers. So. I I think if people say you know there's there's always that criticism when it comes oh I don't want politics in my Star Wars right so it's like that's usually just sort of a blind viewpoint of Star Wars to begin with because the right. politics has always been there we all have said that um, go back and listen to the episode where we had directly addressed that point that having been said uh, if you don't want politics in your Star Wars this is definitely not the show for you um, because like you look at the modern day parallels especially where fascism is concerned and how it creeps in and how it just sort of i'm going to take away a little bit more from you and then a little bit more from you and we're just going to see how much of that you're willing to tolerate and put up with and it, and it just we're seeing that all over our society right now it's not just in the political arena but like um with cap capitalism i mean you see that like I, profits over customers you know and, and um, I'm going to make my CEO you know an extra cool million th this year uh, at the expense of the customer we're going to squeeze them a little bit further and again like eventually 
you've seen it throughout history time and time again if you squeeze people hard enough for a long enough period of time eventually they're going to revolt and that's but we're seeing it and again like this story is not new in that respect but it's very timely because we're seeing it here in american society right now in a big way and i think to your point uh dave kind of like you said uh about everybody fighting their own, finding their own reason to rebel. Maybe that was Aaron. Uh, it's interesting in the character of Kilo, uh, Andy Serkis's character, because he is sticking to his script. He is sticking to his plan. He is sticking to his program through most of this episode because he believes that there's a certain social construct. I do this and I reward it with this. I, I know. I keep my mind, my head down, my mouth shut, and I do what I'm ordered to do. Now we'll get out of here. And it takes him recognizing, no, no one's getting out of here. All of that's a lie. And then he goes, well, if the social contract, contract is broken between me and the empire, then I have no reason to hold on to any other stuff that I got. And I'm going to make my own contract now where I win. Yep. And that's something that I think it's valid and important. Like I said, Dave, we need to be repentant in every society. As long as people feel that they're getting the, you know, a just deal, they don't rebel, they don't fight. The moment they feel, okay, there is no winning here, I am set to lose, well, I'm going I'm to do whatever kid does when they're losing a Monopoly. I'm going to flip the table. So we, uh, this was episode nine, and we've got 12 episodes, right? Yep, three so, more. So you think we just have one arc of a, of a prison break and then hooking back up with a rebellion? This is it's going to be pretty intense. So... It's going to be interesting because I think, you know, yeah, next episode is the prison breakout, whatever that happens. I wonder how Cassian's going to link back up with all the other characters. Because you got to imagine at some point he's got to go back to Ferris. He can't leave his friends behind. He can't leave his mom behind. And the risk that that's going to put him in, in conflict with characters like Cinta and Val, who have been told, go kill this guy because he knows too much. And the Empire now on the path to finding out who is the guy who's funding and promoting all this theory of their equipment. All right. Well, I think we, oh, sorry, Dave, you got final thoughts here? You look like you were going to uh, wax. No, poetic. I think I lost it. So. All right. Well, let us know what you're thinking about Andor. Um, if you're digging these episodes as much as we are, um, and uh, maybe things we've missed. Um, but yeah, you can, like I so said, you can always hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook. We like to be bugged while we're at work. Um, but uh, until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And everybody have an awesome week. My clunky.